back to the book podcast and our journey with Proust. And we're still in the overture. We're about 50 pages in now of 70 pages in the overture. And um, what has happened now is that Marcel is up in his room and is waiting. And then the guest they had, Monsieur Swan, has just left. And then there's a bit of conversation with Marcel's parents and the grandparents and the other guests about Monsieur Swan. And then Marcel's father goes up to bed and then we have this big anticipation of what's going to happen with his mother. So, my mother opened the lattice door which led from the hall to the staircase. Presently, I heard her coming upstairs to close her window. I went quietly into the passage. My heart was beating so violently that I could hardly move but at least it was throbbing, no longer with anxiety, but with terror and with joy. I saw in the well of the stair a light coming upwards, from Mama's candle. Then I saw Mama herself. I threw myself upon her. For an instant she looked at me in astonishment, not realizing what could have happened. Then her face assumed an expression of anger. She said not a single word to me. And for that matter, I used to go for days on end without being spoken to, for far less offenses than this. A single word from Mama would have been an admission that further intercourse with me was within the bounds of possibility and that might perhaps have appeared to me more terrible still as indicating that with such a punishment as was in store for me, Mere silence and even anger were relatively puerile. A word from her then would have implied the false calm in which one converses with a servant to whom one has just decided to give notice. The kiss one bestows on the son who is being packed off to enlist, which would have been denied him if it had merely been a matter of being angry with him for a few days. But she heard my father coming from the dressing room, where he had gone to take off his clothes and to avoid the scene which he would make if he saw me, she said, in a voice half stifled by her anger. Run away at once. Don't let your father see you standing there like a crazy Jane. But I begged her again to come and say good night to me. Terrified, as I saw the light from my father's candle already creeping up the wall, but also making use of his approach as a means of blackmail, in the hope that my mother, not wishing him to find me there, as find me he must, if she continued to hold out, would give in to me and say, go back to your room, I will come. Too late. My father was upon us. Instinctively, I murmured, though no one heard me, I am done for. I was not, however. My father used constantly to refuse to let me do things which were quite clearly allowed by the more liberal charters granted me by my mother and grandmother because he paid no heed to principles and because in his sight there were no such things as rights of man. For some quite irrelevant reason, 
or for no reason at all. He would at the last moment prevent me from taking some particular walk, one so regular and so consecrated to my use that to deprive me of it was a clear breach of faith. Or again, as he had done this evening, long before the appointed hour he would snap out, run along up to bed now, no excuses. But then again, simply because he was devoid of principles, in my grandmother's sense, so he could not, properly speaking, be called inexorable. He looked at me for a moment with an air of annoyance and surprise, and then, when Mama had told him, not without some embarrassment, what had happened, said to her, Go along with him then. You said just now that you didn't feel like sleep, so stay in his room for a little. I don't need anything. But there, my mother answered timidly, whether or not I feel like sleep is not the point. We must not make the child accustomed. There's no question of making him accustomed, said my father, with a shrug of the shoulders. You can see quite well that the child is unhappy. After all, we aren't gaulers. You'll end by making him ill, and a lot of good that will do. There are two beds in this room. Tell Francoise to make up the big one for you and stay beside him for the rest of the night. I'm off to bed anyhow. I'm not nervous like you. Good night. It was impossible for me to thank my father. What he called my sentimentality would have exasperated him. I stood there, not daring to move. He was still confronting us, an immense figure in his white nightshirt, crowned with a pink and violet scarf of Indian cashmere in which, since he had begun to suffer from neuralgia, he used to tie up his head, standing like Abraham in the engraving after Benozzo Gozzili, which Monsieur Swan had given me, telling Sarah that she must tear herself away from Isaac. Many years have passed since that night. The wall of the staircase up, which I had watched the light of, of his candle gradually climb, was long ago demolished. And in myself too, many things have perished, which, I imagined, would last forever. And new structures have arisen, giving birth to new sorrows and new joys, which in those days I could not have foreseen. Just as now the old are difficult, of comprehension. It is a long time too since my father has been able to tell Mama to go with the child. Never again will such hours be possible for me. But of late I have been increasingly able to catch, if I listen attentively, the sound of the sobs which I had the strength to control in my father's presence, and which broke out only when I found myself alone with Mama. Actually, their echo has never ceased. It is only because life is now growing more and more quiet round about me that I hear them afresh. Like those convent bells, which are so effectively drowned during the day by the noises of the streets, that one would suppose them to have been stopped forever, until they sound out again through the silent evening air.
So, just one little comment is this this uh, ambiguous feeling Marcel has now that he is creating troubles for his parents, even if he if the result is something that he wanted, he is, doesn't feel good about this. And even looking back at it from a from like an adult person's perspective, as the whole story started with, it's a bit of a complicated uh, memory for him to to relate to in many ways. Mama spent that night in my room. When I had just committed a sin so deadly that I was waiting to be banished from the household, my parents gave me a far greater concession than I should ever have won as the reward of a good action. Even at the moment when it manifested itself in this crowning mercy, my father's conduct towards me was still somewhat arbitrary. And regardless of my deserts, as was characteristic of him, and due to the fact that his actions were generally dictated by chance experiences rather than based on any formal plan. And perhaps even what I called his strictness when he sent me off to bed deserved that title less, really, than my mother's or grandmother's attitude for his nature, which in some respects differed more from theirs from my own, had probably prevented him from guessing until then how wretched I was every evening, a thing which my mother and grandmother knew well. But they loved me enough to be unwilling to spare me that suffering which they hoped to teach me to overcome so as to reduce my nervous sensibility and to strengthen my will. As for my father, whose affection for me was of another kind, I doubt if he would have shown so much courage for as soon as he had grasped the fact that I was unhappy, he had said to my mother, go and comfort him. Mama stayed in all night in my room and it seemed that she did not wish to mar by recrimination those hours. So different from anything that I had had a right to expect. For when Françoise, who guessed that something extraordinary must have happened when she saw Mama sitting by my side, holding my hand and letting me cry unchecked, said to her, But, madame, what is the little master crying for? She replied, Why, Françoise, he doesn't know himself. It is his nerves. Make up the big bed for me quickly and then go off to your own. And thus, for the first time, my unhappiness was regarded no longer as a fault for which I must be punished, but as an involuntary evil which had been officially recognized a nervous condition for which I was in no way responsible. I had the consolation that I need no longer mingle apprehensive scruples with the bitterness of my tears. I could weep henceforward without sin. I felt no small degree of pride either. In Francois' presence, at this return to humane conditions, which, not an hour after Mama had refused to come up to my room and had sent the snubbing message that I was to go to sleep, raised me to the dignity of a grown-up person, brought me of a sudden to a sort of puberty of sorrow, to emancipation from tears. 
I ought then to have been happy. I was not. It struck me that my mother had just made the first concession which must have been painful to her. That it was a first step down from the ideal she had formed for me. And that for the first time, with all her courage, had to confess herself beaten. It struck me that if I had just scored a victory, it was over her. That I had succeeded as sickness or sorrow or age might have succeeded in relaxing her will, in altering her judgment, that this evening opened a new era. Must remain a black date in the calendar. And if I had dared now, I should have said to Mama, no, I don't want you, you mustn't sleep here. But I was conscious of the practical wisdom of what would be called nowadays the realism with which she tempered the ardent idealism of my grandmother's nature and I knew that now the mischief was done, she would prefer to let me enjoy the soothing pleasure of her company and not to disturb my father again. Certainly my mother's beautiful features seemed to shine again with youth that evening as she sat gently holding my hands and trying to check my tears. But just for that reason, it seemed to me that this should not have happened. Her anger would have been less difficult to endure than this new kindness which my childhood had not known. I felt that I had with an impious and secret finger traced a first wrinkle upon her soul and made the first white hair show upon her head. This thought redoubled my sobs. And then I saw that Mama, who never allowed herself to go to any lengths of tenderness with me, was suddenly overcome by my tears and had to struggle to keep back her own. Then, as she saw that I had noticed this, she said to me with a smile, Why, my little buttercup, my little cannery boy, he's going to make Mama as silly as himself if this goes on. Look, since you can't sleep and Mama can't either, we mustn't go on in this stupid way. We must do something. I'll get one of your books. But I had none there. Would you like me to get out the books now that your grandmother is going to give you for your birthday? Just think it over first, and don't be disappointed if there is nothing new for you then. Okay, so we're going to stop it here. Is uh, kind of one of the main points is, is kind of, it comes to uh, like it's 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 opening up here and showing one of those foundational memories for for the the narrator of the book and also likely in some sense Proust himself that uh, coming to terms with his own nature and his own nervous disposition in a sense is something that they're trying to pretend is not there until the moment where it's impossible to ignore and then he also then as a little boy understands that this is not necessarily um, a very <laughs> good thing for him and that he's disappointing his his uh, parents in some sense, and that 
uh, his life might become a bit different from there on, but it's also an acknowledgement that this is who, who he is and how he is. So uh, you can see also that he's putting in already kind of the, as we said in the earlier episode, like the positive sides of this nervous um, nature that he has in terms of artistic and intellectual kind of uh, developments that are coming and, and growing throughout the whole work. So it's um, it's a deep moment here. It's kind of a tender moment, and it's uh, it's it's one of those really uh, big um, parts of of a book that is written like as a part of the French literature, and it's also uh, something that, that the kind of one of the founding elements of the whole story and understanding Proust's life, and that this this goes deep, but it's also uh, it's a sense of a comfort and a when he's more adult he's looking at this even in a more overall way and understanding his own his own life and his own nature so um we're gonna stop it here and uh hope some of this was interesting and uh we, we're getting kind of as part of this opening overture of the of the whole work we're starting to get a little bit sense of of marcel and then perhaps see a little bit where a life like this might kind of grow and develop in different directions so uh, with that i uh, hope some of this was interesting and uh, as always thank you so much for listening and see you again next time <laughs>